Turn with me, if you will, Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 27. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them. And the scribes were disputing with them. And immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought my son who has a mute spirit and wherever it sees him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, he gnashes at his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believe. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out and convulsed him greatly and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. I was saying to the to Chris in the back there, I, I brought this sermon a couple of weeks ago to, to our church at Jacksdale. We'd just done a week of prayer and fasting. And I wanted to, I've been, I've been looking at this for quite some time and it's got a very powerful message, I think, that, that, that the church needs to hear. And, but it's a difficult, difficult text. It's a difficult passage and portion of scripture um been abused been used by the name it and claim it people but it has a very certain and a very definite definite message that that comes with it and one that we need to grapple with and one that we need to get a hold of in the church in the generation that we live in the title in the Thompson Chain Reference Bible for this particular section is the conditions of spiritual power. Conditions of spiritual power. Now we know, don't we, that that sort of thing has been taken out of context and that there are people out there who are saying that we we have the words that we can speak out, we can claim this, we can declare that, we can cast this out, we can do this, we can do the other. 
that's done damage to portions of scripture such as this. But there is no doubt in my mind, and the Bible is very clear, that as Christian people, we have a spiritual power which Christ gives us through the Holy Spirit. Paul teaches, doesn't he? He says, our battle is not with flesh and blood, but it's with powers and principalities. And that is what we're facing. And, and how can we face that unless we go back with some sort of spiritual power of our own? We, we, we can't do anything as our, in our own strength, as we're going to learn earlier on. So we're, we're doing some evangelism within Jackstow. We've had a leaflet prepared. We're going to be taking that round Jacksdale and putting one through every single door, following that up with a visit to every single door. So what we wanted to do was to, before taking those out, was to have this week of prayer and fasting, to pray about the leaflets, to pray about the response, to pray about how to deal with the conversations at the door, the, the rejection, the acceptance, the questions. And and when we're looking at this portion of scripture, when Jesus says, this type only goes out by prayer and fasting, what is he actually talking about? What is he saying? Now, is is it saying that God is incapable of dealing with anything unless we pray and fast about it? Is that what it's telling us? Is it saying that God's not willing to do anything unless we say a little quick prayer or we fast for a week? Is is God just sat there waiting for us to do that before he's going to act? Does this portion of scripture tell us that actually the demon that's in this child is more powerful than God and that actually unless the disciples pray and fast that that demon will control that child for the rest of his life? outside of God's capability to do anything because no prayer has been made or no fasting has been done. Well, I'm sure that everybody here would disagree with all of those three. We know that's not the case. We know that we serve a powerful God. We know that we serve a God who has created the heavens and the earth. We know that we serve a God who is sovereign. We know that we serve a God who's created the sun, the sea, the lands. We know that the sea goes no further than God allows it to. We know the sun rises in the morning because God commands it to. So no, none of those statements are right. So what is it that Christ is telling us? Jesus is clearly telling his disciples an important message. I believe that this is more about faith and the conditions of the spiritual power that the Thompson chain reference makes note of. That this is about us. This is not about God's ability. This is about what prayer and fasting does for us as children of God. And I hope that as we go through tonight, we get a, a bigger picture and a clearer picture that this is not about us trying to put God's arm up his back or command anything from God. We're not able to do that. We haven't got the privilege to do that. We haven't got the right to do that. But prayer and fasting is key for our lives in 2022, not just in AD 33. So as we've already said, this can be a dangerous and a misguided topic. 
Men have got hold of it in the past and they've applied it to healing. Done some horrendous damage. It's done damage in my own family. My dad used to watch Kenneth Copeland's stuff and he suffered with cataracts. And for years and years and years, he never went to the doctor's. Because he was told on TV that if you just speak it out, if you just sow a seed, if you're not healed, it's your problem. You're not praying hard enough. It's the lack of your faith. And I hate it with a passion. Because of the, 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 the d- damage that it's done, people's lives have been wrecked. When people take scripture like this out of context, is those word of faith movements. Those people who, who believe that God just remains stagnant until we, we command him to do something. Verse 19. He says this to the generation. He answered them and said, O oh, faithful generation, faithless generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. Now that verse has been used many times when I've heard this preached on that actually Jesus was angry at his disciples because they hadn't cast out the demon. And why why haven't you done it? You're faithless. But if you read read it in the context, it's, it's not, that's not what he's saying. He's not talking specifically to the disciples. He's talking to every single person that was there at this particular time. He was talking to the Pharisees. All they were interested in in was pointing out that the disciples couldn't do it. He's talking to the crowd. All they were interested in was running up to Christ when he came down the mountain and were looking at what they could get out of him. They were amazed at the sight. They they couldn't care less about the boy. The father, he was talking to him. And he was talking to, to the disciples. But the main point of this comment that Christ made to the people was not about the healing. It was about their lack of faith in him. Not about that there was a lack of faith that the boy would be healed, but it's th- this was at the end of Christ's ministry. This was at the point where he was getting ready to go to the cross. It, it's not as if this was right at the very beginning. They'd seen the miracles. They'd heard him preach and teach. They'd seen many wonderful things. And yet they still were a faithless generation and didn't understand who the Christ was. And that was what he was making a reference to. Lack of faith. Lack of of belief. It's the same problem. And it's a problem that we, we suffer with today. What is unbelief? Well, I want to make clear it's not a weakness. It's not a, a, a place where we get to where we can't quite fathom something out and, you know, I don't believe it because of. Unbelief is about a lack of trusting God, a lack of trusting his ability, a lack of yielding our life over to his hands. You know, I mentioned the word sovereign three or four times. When, when we... Worship our God. We should have absolute confidence in him. And that's what belief is. Unbelief is a lack of that. Not just 
wondering if a certain event's going to come to pass or a healing's going to be done. That's just peripheral nonsense. Matthew Poole says this, God rewards a weak faith. To those labouring under a sense of their weakness and desiring an increase of strength. So weakness, weakness can be a positive thing. In my weakness, you are my strength, Paul says. But it's not just a weakness of sitting there and doing nothing. It's a weakness with a, a desire to labour, knowing our weakness but having a desire to increase in strength. And that can only come through an acknowledgement of who Christ is, who God is, and through the Holy Spirit, the one that empowers us to do all things. So this is not whether, this is not about whether the demon was cast out about, whether the demon was cast out or not. This is about the lack of faith. This is about Christ and his Ability. And I want us to look at four points that, that this passage clearly shows us, which will then hopefully open up our eyes a little more as to what Christ was saying. So first of all, human limitations. Human limitations. In other words, our, our inability. The disciples' inability. Christ said, didn't he, without me you can do nothing. Absolutely nothing. We can't, you know, we go to bed at night and we're expectant that we're going to wake up in the morning. But actually, we'll wake up if God gives us the breath and the heartbeat to wake up. That's how dependent we are upon God. Everything we've got, whether it's our in, in, intellect whether it's our lack of intellect, whether it's the, the gifts that we have with our hands. Some people, you know, the, these, these pews would have been carved. Ability to play, ability to sing or not sing. It's all a gift from God. None of it is, is ours. Yes, we can work at these things. We can fine tune them. We can practice. But everything we have is a gift. And, and we need to recognize that more. But we also need to recognise our total dependence upon God, our inability in all things, starting with salvation. We were dead, trespasses and sins. We all know what dead means. It means no life, no ability. Not going to, just going to suddenly unclip the nails on the coffin lid, push it open and then go around the, the square doing a jig and a dance. It's not going to happen. And that's how we were. We were lost, dead, in trespasses and sins, with no ability to save ourselves. But God, in his mercy and in his grace, gave us away. Opened up our eyes, chipped away at that heart of stone, replaced it with a heart of flesh. That's why we can serve him. That's why we can love him. That's why we can sing to him. That's why we can understand the scripture, because he has done it. He has made us this way. 
and all glory and honour should be given to him. We should not claim anything for ourselves in salvation, not one jot. You know, and it's, it's too prevalent today where churches are wanting to give back something to man and say, well, actually, you've done this. You've made that choice. You've, you've done that for God. We've done nothing. We are unable to do a thing. The Sermon on the Mount makes it very clear that we need to recognize our own state. And so the disciples in this situation were unable. There's one thing that I want us to, to really focus on is it's not that they hadn't done this type of thing before. In Mark 6, we read that Jesus sent out the disciples two by two and he gave them authority to cast out demons. So they'd done it and they came back joyous about it. They came back. Were they boasting? I, I don't know. It doesn't say that. But when you read it, it sounds a bit of that vein. But they had done these things before. But the difference is this time they were coming in their own strength. Mark 6 makes it very clear that Christ gave them the authority to go out and do these things. But on this occasion, they were going in their own strength and they were unable to do anything about it. I had a conversation with um, with my daughter a few weeks ago about famous, the word famous and famous people. And it's, it's something that it irritates me a little bit, to be honest, that footballers get paid the amounts of money that they've gotten that as, as people, and this is, this is our fault, we've made idols and we've created fame. We take people, we buy the music, we go to the concerts and we raise them on this platform that really doesn't exist. We're all the same. We're all unable. We've all got an inability to come to God. I use the, the name of Robbie Williams at, at, at Jacksdale. You know, he's no different to me. He just happens to have got a fairly good voice, went into a fairly decent pop group, and millions and millions of people have bought his records and made him a very, very wealthy man. But he's still dead in his trespasses and sins. He's still unable to come to God unless God stirs his heart and he's still a sinner like me. And that's where we all stand. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or whether you're poor, whether you're a Greek or whether you're a Jew, whether you're old or young. We're all in the same place. All in that same place. Bullinger says this in his commentary. I would that this part of the gospel pleased us as much as those parts which concede liberty. You know, we're very quick to turn to those passages which tells us how free and, and how much we can actually do in Christ's name. But this, this clearly tells us our shortcomings and our failures, our inabilities. And we need to focus on these things. Why? Because it brings us back to the point of our absolute dependence upon Christ, our need of him and our 
the requirement of our faith to, be, to grow in his ability and not in our own. Point number two, the depth of the problem. Let me just read to you verse 21 and 22 from Mark 9 again. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said from childhood, and often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. This child had been like this probably since he'd been born. The demon, this demon that was in him, causing the epilepsy, causing the muteness, tried to destroy the child, tried to drown him, tried to burn him with fire. Nothing could be done. Situation was dire. Nothing could be done. And I want to ask you this evening, have you or do you feel that way? Because I know I have. I know that I still do at times. We live in a, in a generation where there are problems which are deep. And it's getting worse by the week, let alone by the month, let alone by the year. We're living in a time where God is pushed so far out of this nation. We're living in a time where people want to serve man rather than serve God. Where man rules and the rules that are set are all in opposition to what God would have and what God had originally made. So how should we be? Should we be in desperation? Should we be in sadness? Should we be in fear at these things? What about the, the problems in our own lives? The circumstances that seem desperate? We've all got them, haven't we? Or all had them? My mum went for a mammogram two weeks ago. Had a letter back on Monday to go back. Was told on Thursday that she got a lump and that it was cancerous. Things change, things happen, things come around. Desperate times. And we're not, we're not shielded from these things as Christians. But we should have a faith in the God that's created us when these things come around. J.C. Ryle says this, amongst such as this, and that's not just this demon-possessed child, whatever circumstance might be in your life, in my life, as much amongst such as this, we must never despair. Never. Doesn't always mean that the circumstance is going to be removed. But we have a we have a rock. We have an anchor. We have a promise in Christ Jesus that never fails. And so whatever comes our way, no matter what the depth of the problem is, whether that's the, the, the lack of salvation for any of our children, whether it's the way that the world is out there, whether it's health issues within the family, 
Never despair. Never despair. Because that's what causes our next point. The problem of unbelief. In Matthew version of this, when the disciples asked him, what, why couldn't we cast this out? He didn't just tell them it was because they hadn't prayed and fasted. He said to them, because of the smallness, the littleness of your faith, your unbelief. And I think we are, we are much like that. We, we're a very fickle people. We, you know, we're very quick to praise God and, and believe him when we're reading the word. But when, when trials and tribulations do come, when circumstances come up that, that are deep, you know, we're not just talking about a bit of a head cold or a sore toe. When those circumstances of life come, faith sometimes can go out the window. Very quick to sit and get stuck in self-pity or lack of belief that God can actually do anything in the situation. Let's take church, for example. Why not this place? And I think I said this probably two or three times, not two or three times previous, but about three times ago when I came, is what I'm trying to say. Can this place be filled? Ask yourself, ask your own heart. I mean, look around. I mean, today is a, is, a, is a good day from when I've come in the past. Can these seats be filled? Now, inwardly, we can say, well, the day that we live in, there's hardly anybody believes in God. God's not preached in schools, the state of the world, etc., etc. That's your unbelief. Whether the thing happens or not, we must place our faith totally in God. And we must get down to business of prayer and fasting about these things. Has God finished saving people? No. Has he finished saving in Christ? I don't think so. Has he finished saving in England? No. Has he finished saving in Kenya, Jamaica? Singapore. How, how do I know that? We're still here. The church is still here. Christ hasn't returned. The last Gentile has not come in. The new kingdom has not come down as, as far as I can see. And while ever this world carries on, no matter how bleak it is, salvation is still round the corner, still available. And we must believe it. Must believe it. That little Methodist church that I was talking about. That's a house now. Many other churches have gone the same way. Churches in the Methodist circuit that I used to preach on. Big churches. Elegant places. Closed. Sold in auction ready to be knocked down for houses to be built on the plot. Does that put God in handcuffs? No. So we have to be a people that has a belief in our God in all the circumstances that we face.
J.C. Ryle again. Let us ponder this point well and learn wisdom. Faith is the key to success. Now, hear this in the context of everything that I've been saying so far. We're not name it and claim it and we're not those type of people. Faith is the key to success in Christian warfare. Unbelief is the sure road to defeat. And that's, that's in anything, not just about church buildings and, and, and faith, but anything. If we, if we have a total attitude of unbelief, we are defeated. Satan has come in and is run, run amok with our emotions, with our mind. We focus on the circumstances and that's it. But faith, it says, Faith is the key to success. Now, that doesn't mean that all the circumstances are going to change, but it's our attitude. It's our focus. It's our hope. It's our assurance. And the more that we have faith in Christ, what he has done and what he will do, the more success that we are going to have in our spiritual lives. The more we're going to see Christ, the more we're going to see God, the more we're going to love him the more those circumstances are going to move to one side and the more central Christ is going to be. The Bible tells us that all promises are yes and amen in Christ. Again, that doesn't mean we're going to receive everything that we ask for. But everything that God has promised us within his word is yes and amen. In Christ. So if there's something there within this book, whether that's you seeking humility, whether you're seeking hope, whether you're seeking wisdom because you're lacking in it, whether you're seeking comfort, knowledge, so yes and amen in Christ. There's not one thing that God has put in this word that he says is available to you that is not for you. But it's all yes and amen in Christ. John 14, 13 and 14, Christ says this, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. A promise. That's yes and amen in Christ. Now again, we've got to put to one side the nonsense. If you ask for a Ferrari, forget it. That's not what it's talking about. If you're asking for 100% pure health for the rest of your life, forget it. That's not, that's not what the Bible's talking about. All the promises, that's what it's talking about. All being that that's in the will of God. We read in, in 1 John, all these things are yes and amen in Christ. And we, we, we need to get a grasp of that. We, we need not to be fearful that actually we can have what God tells us we can have in his word. We're not moving into the charismatic. We're not, we're not moving away from the sovereignty of God but we're putting a reliance upon what he's telling us within his word. And it's all 
on Christ's merits. So what does prayer and fasting have to do with all of this, you might be asking? What has it got to do with it? Well, let me read a few scriptures to you before I answer that question. James 5, 16 to 18. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man avails much. The next verse. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. Over to 1 John 5, 14 to 15. Now this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we have asked of him. So I'm not... This is That's a, a totally different topic and a different sermon of itself. But the, the key point is here that, that anything that is in the will of God, that we come to him in prayer for, is available. Elijah is no different to us. He was a man of flesh and bone like we are. He was a man probably of doubts like we were. We are. He was a man of sin. And yet he was a man who knew God. He was a man who knew the will of God. And he prayed, the rain stopped. He prayed again and the rain started again. I'm not saying that we're going to be able to go out and command the rain. But if we know the word of God, if we know God the Father, the Son and the Spirit, we'll know what we can go to him for. We'll know what promises are yes and amen in Christ. And we will have those things. And God will make it certain. But we must go in prayer. They're not just going to come to us by sitting on pews. They're not just going to come because God has said it in his word. But because this is the way that God has ordained it to be so. Again, is it because we're trying to get God like that? No. It's our benefit. Prayer is for our benefit. Do you know that? not only glorifies him, but it strengthens us. Let's turn to Joel. Joel 1 verse 14. Consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Verse 2, chapter 2, verses 2. And 13, a day of darkness and gloominess, a a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A people come great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations. And then what happens in verse 13? Is it, well, we'll just accept that. No, it says, rend your hearts. And not your garments. 
Psalm 35 verse 13 says, But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled myself with fasting, and my prayer would return to my own heart. Matthew 9 verse 15, And can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and they will fast. We're in those days now. The bridegroom's there waiting to come for his bride. And we must be a people of prayer and fasting. Fasting's not always about food. Fasting's about a desire to spend that time with God, whatever that means. Whether that's having to to, um, put aside some other thing. But the principle is the desire. The principle is the action. The principle is, do we want this? Church is not just a building that we come and attend and sing a few songs. Church is a body of people who are living the Christian life, glorifying God and seeking him for what he wants to do in our day. And that still comes today with prayer and fasting. So this whole passage for me, as as I started with, is not about whether the disciples could cast the demon out or not. This is not about whether we see this church full or not. This is not about whether my mum's cancer is healed or not. It's about are we desirous enough to get to the place of what Christ was talking about? This type only goes out by prayer and by fasting. Why is that the key? It's not because the disciples would have accomplished or have gained any superior ability. It's about the knowledge of who Christ is. When we come to him in prayer and in fasting, firstly, is to spend that time with him, gain a better understanding of who he is, spend time in his presence and bring to him the things that's on our heart with the knowledge that the God of all the earth always does right. We can go in certainty, assurance, but the only way that we can get to that place is by spending time in his presence. See, the disciples, they gave in. They didn't turn around and go and pray and fast themselves because the situation was so dire. They just didn't didn't bother with it anymore. Let's not be a people that do that. Let's seek God with everything that we have for this generation at your prayer meetings that's already been mentioned, that when you go out on these days into Belper, that God would move so mightily that even one person would be saved. And let's not, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to the, the powerful healing touch of God. Let's pray for the sick. Let's anoint them with oil, like it says. 
Let's believe that God still does what he's done. I believe that God can heal me, mum. Will he? That's up to him. But we still come in prayer, regardless of the outcome. And I want to say to you, we're living in a generation which is pansified, sissified, if you want to, if that's okay to use, religion, Christianity. We've lost, we've lost sight of what, who, what and who we are in Christ. We've lost sight of what the relationship with Christ is. At one stage when, you know, when I, when I was a child, it was all about church attendance. Now it's all about how great and how hype you can be made to feel. But the reality is that Christianity is about a relationship with God our Father. And it's a deep one. It's not just a, a surface relationship. We can know God to the maximum that we can in this life. And it's something that we need to seek him for. Because we're living in days that are hard and getting harder and we need to know him. It's a must. So I encourage you today. Not that I don't think that you're not doing it. Do it more. Seek him with all that you have. And include prayer and fasting. Amen. Let's pray. Father, your word is precious. We thank you for it. We thank you both for the, for the written word that we have here. We thank you for the word made flesh, Christ. But I want to thank you most of all today, Father, that you've made it accessible and understandable to this sinful mind and body. Because you've decreed it to be so. Not that me or any of these people here deserve anything from you, but you have, you have allowed us to see into these wonderful things. Albeit that we look in a, in a mirror darkly, we do see, Father, what it is that you have and are doing in Christ. But I ask, look, Father, that in your goodness you would you would remove the veil a little bit more. That we would, we would see you in, in the capacity that we, we can in this sinful body. We know that there's a limit, Father, to what we can do, but there's also a height which we can reach. And I pray you would enable each and every one of us here to know you to that maximum potential. In Jesus' name, amen.